0: Welcome to The Mess, 150 years of Cape Breton Highlander tradition. I am your host, Major Jason Doyle. Being a Highlander is one of the greatest experiences of my life. It's a joy going to work every day at a place with so much esprit de corps. But it's not all fun and games. Underneath the smiles, the kilts, and the pipes are nerves of steel, I think
1: it's given Cape Breton a very justified
2: sense of pride and achievement. We're just a little bit different than other people. But it's different in a good way and it makes you, it gives you a little bit more
0: pride. What does it take to become a Cape Breton Highlander? In this episode, you'll find out.
3: It's very unusual to have 51 continuous
0: years in the military. This is John Clark from Cox Heath, the curator of the Cape Breton Highlanders Museum. In a career that spanned over three decades, John has held every non-commissioned rank in the battalion there is. From private, corporal, master corporal, finally retiring as chief warrant officer and the regimental sergeant major of the unit in 1994. What does it mean to be a Highlander to you?
3: Well, in the late 1950s, my friends had joined the militia uh, down the Cape Breton Highlanders in the 1950s. And at that particular time, I was involved in night courses at school. I was taking a night course, so I couldn't join. So by 1960... I finally finished the night courses and joined the Militia in the late 1960s. And I've been there for 34 years and then I switched over to the museum for 20 some odd years. So altogether I have about 61 years continual service with the Highlanders. Some of us paid, and some of it's volunteered, but I enjoyed it very much, and I think it's worthwhile to explore and to get more involved if we can.
0: Now, one of the other things that you've done, too, is you've helped create the Cape Breton Highlanders Museum. Can you tell me about the museum and what it is?
3: When I retired in 94, I approached uh, Colonel Parsons at the time for a spot in the new buildings that were going up, replacing the old Second World War buildings. He bought the idea, so the buildings were on stream about 1997. So he had a few years to get ready for the opening of the new buildings in the late 1990s. At that time, we had nothing set aside for museums except a few pictures on the walls in Glace Bay and in Sydney. So we started out from scratch. So we salvaged as much as we could from the buildings that were being torn down, things like glass and drapes, things like that. So that when the, before the new building was officially opened, we started at the museum to create what we have uh, today. So what we have today is just a small part of what we started out with. Uh, but uh, we were able to uh, gather things up and we had one grant which made a big difference to the as a uh, museum.
0: And I think it's fair to say you have quite the collection now. You're the preeminent place to, to find out about stuff about the Cape Breton Highlanders. Would that be fair? Yeah, I think
3: you look at the museums in the area, there's very little on the military aspect of things. And we have quite a lengthy uh, history on military here during the wars and during other conflicts throughout the world and uh, everything that we have is donated. We have no finances or monies uh, set aside for purchasing things. So everything you see at the museum, which is quite lengthy, has been donated to us.
0: Through your career and through your role in the museum, you had a lot of opportunity to speak to our veterans and, and collect their stories.
3: Uh, yes, we're not much of a speaker. We kind of s- stand in the background and get things done, hopefully, and get things done. But there's been many a time that we had to speak to our own troops uh, with reference to the association and veterans uh, who served before us. So it's certainly a, a worthwhile topic and deserves to be uh, brought to the fore.
0: What does it mean to you to be a Highlander? For me, it's
2: a lot of pride because when you think of the word, like, Highlander, it comes from that Gaelic area in Scotland. And so it was a lot of very tough Scottish people, and they were forming these military units for the British, and just the fact that you were a Highlander, it gave you a little bit more... People looked at you like you were a little bit tougher, a little bit more rugged. And so... I still feel like that's the case today, being in a Highland unit. We're just a little bit different than other people, but it's different in a good way and it makes you, it gives you a little bit more pride. You get a lot of pride from serving your country anyway, but being able to do so in a Highland unit with the history that the Cape Breton Highlanders have, it just adds to that.
4: I'm an assistant professor in the communication department, uh, communication and languages department, and I teach things like public speaking, Uh, argumentation, debate from time to time, video production, things like that that require a lot of ability to make things comprehensible to the students so that they're able to see and understand what it is in terms of the point I want to get across. And when I studied what's called MOI, or method of instruction, that was a military thing, and it really helped me to focus on how to take a big chunk of information and break it down into, in that case, a 40-minute lecture and uh, be able to present that, or whether it's drill, or how to strip and assemble a rifle, or how to behave and what the rank structure is. Whatever the the lesson happened to be, the military does a really great job uh, of telling you how to break things down so that they're easily understood. And I found that the Highlanders, particularly, were good at that, and uh, I I benefited greatly. And that's something you still Use today. Really Still well. used today every time I'm in there. The only thing is I'm a little softer than I was in the military. Uh, you know, you don't uh, do anything like tell somebody to wake up or what, <laughs> anything like that. It's a lot of fun and, and that was one of the things I liked about the military was the discipline.
5: I think I'm going to take a little bit of a, a chapter from the book that you were just reading from Ted and, and saying about convincing somebody to get the most out of them even during the bad times. As a physiotherapist, I work with a number of different populations. Um, A lot of people believe that physiotherapists treat sore ankles and sore backs alone. However, my my profession has quite a wider scope. I've spent time in the intensive care unit. I spend time in the stroke neurological rehab centers. And when you have people that have had, whether it be a a cerebrovascular event or a, a stroke, maybe they've come down with a significant sickness and they've been on life support. Their will and their desire to do a lot may not be as, as high as it once was. And the ability to get the most out of them in a time where they're quite down, they're quite depressed in a lot of cases, has led many of my patients, fortunately, to have significantly better outcomes than they may have first believed that they would have. I can think of many cases where somebody may not have been able to sit up on the side of the bed and then after a lot of hard work a lot of dedication a lot of determination a lot of discipline as my father said i've shaken their hands walking out the door so i will take that most from my military life as far as my my civilian career is concerned As a sidebar, Jason, I must mention that John is, as he mentioned, a physiotherapist. Well, John's wife is a physiotherapist, and my wife is a physiotherapist. So needless to say, when we get together, I don't get a word in edgewise.
3: And one of the first encounters with the enemy troops, it was Italy, was on a hill. They started up the hill with good success And when they got near the top of the hill the enemy let loose with everything they had. This drove the Highlanders to the ground. Troops behind them could not advance because they were being held up by this heavy enemy fire. The company commander saw that there was no need to advance because of the heavy fire. So he had the troops from the company move back, and because of the close proximity of the enemy, it was very difficult to do that as they were continually to approach our troops, and the space between them got less and less. Alphonse Hickey, who had the Bren gun, Uh, He called out, he said, uh, that he would keep the enemy back and provide covering fire as the troops moved back from their location. He said, give me your magazines because the magazines of the rifle were interchangeable with the uh, Bren gun, although they were smaller in numbers than the Bren gun magazine. So as the boys worked their way back, they threw the magazines to Alphonse, who kept a steady stream of fire from the Bren gun, which kept the enemies back. Because if not, without that fire, the enemy would advance right into our own troops with great casualties. So with Alphonse's steady gun fire, They were able to extract themselves from a very difficult position and work their way back. The next day, when the uh, powers-to-be understood what they had to contend with, they sent a larger number of troops up the hill and they were able to uh, secure the hill with the extra troops. And Hickey's body was still there, and he was hit at least five times by enemy uh, fire before he finally uh, gave up and died. Without the machine gun fire from Hickey, there would have been a lot more casualties on the Cape Breton Highlanders. Hickey was put in for a medal, but the the powers-to-be said that since it was not a, a successful attack, and no medal were uh, uh, authorized to be issued to Hickey for his services for protecting his troops.
0: What has your time in, in the military taught you that you've been able to use outside of the military in your other career? Just to slow down because my
2: civilian job is, I'm a school teacher. So as a teacher, you have to make a lot of decisions very fast. And sometimes things aren't exactly going your way. But if you try and rush those decisions, chances are you aren't going to make a very good one. So something I've learned with the military that really helps is to slow down. Because even if it seems like you have to make a decision right away, you can still take an extra second to calm yourself and then try and make a better decision, which it really helps you make the most out of every situation so that things don't just break into chaos, which in a junior high classroom can happen. Very
0: easily <laughs> happen. Yeah.
3: There, actually, there was quite a few that I used, that I picked up. There's so many that I couldn't m- even think about, mention them, but the fact uh, that we're... Uh, Timing was one thing, loyalty was another that, that stand out, that, that I used my employment uh, as, as a store manager for many years. I was responsible for looking after people who were employed. I always used the military uh, aspect of training when dealing with other employees and, and with customers
0: as well. What are some of the skills that you learned from the military that carried over into your civilian side of the house? The work discipline. You have to keep at something. If
1: you want something done, you have to keep at it. Strive to do your best. If you do your best, things are gonna happen positive for you uh, eventually. And uh, I think the ability to work with other people, uh, work as a team, that that was a big, big plus because uh, As you know, in the military, uh, you know, it's all team. You're in a section, you're in a platoon, you're in a company, you know. It's all teams, and uh, that that was very useful in my uh, civilian career.
4: You never want to be good enough. You want to be uh, excellent. You want to excel. You want to make sure everything is safe because that's where things really come into play. And I found that esprit de corps, sort of the, the spirit of the unit, was really, really strong in the Highlanders.
1: I have occasion to attend meetings in uh, other occupations I have, and sometimes they deal with immigration. And I stand up and I say, I'm an immigrant to Canada. And people look at me and I say, I came over in 1809. And after a few seconds, people get it. I was brought up in Sydney and North Sydney. I went to the to the Maud and Kelty College. And as I say, I joined the Cape Breton Highlanders cadets and, and wore a kilt. And it's it's been a part of my life ever since I was 12 years of age. I think it's given Cape Breton a very justified sense of pride and achievement that a military organization wearing Cape Breton Highlanders Flash on their uniforms have perpetuated what was begun in Victoria County 150 years ago. And in 1939, when Recruiting was started at Victoria Park in Sydney. Men came from all over the island, from Ottawa Brook and Inverness and Gavaroos and Glace Bay and the industrial heart of Cape Breton. Some of them spoke more Gaelic than they did English, And they came together and they created the legacy of the modern-day Cape Breton Highlanders. I I want to acknowledge the continuing service of people who are in the unit today and who have been in it in years gone by. I praise those who have helped uh, Cape Breton Highlanders cadet corps, And I praise those who are active in the association and who seek continually to ensure that as many people as possible in Cape Breton recognize and appreciate and want to preserve the legacy of all of those folks who have gone before us over the last 150 years.
0: You have been listening to The Mess, commemorating 150 years of Cape Breton Highlanders' tradition. To continue participating in our 150th anniversary celebrations, check out shapingofcanada.ca. To learn how you can become a Highlander and join us at The Mess, visit our page on the Canadian Forces website or join us on Facebook at the Cape Breton Highlanders Association page.